Well, take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And if you don't have one, that's okay. There's one in front of you, in the pew or under the seat. And uh, it's page 1,473 in those pew Bibles. Now, believe it or not, we only have this week and one more week in Matthew chapter 5. This is, uh, we're about done with this series in the Beatitudes, and I'm really excited about uh, the chance to go through this with you, and I hope that you have learned and grown as much as I have been challenged uh, studying through this, and uh, I feel like I have a new appreciation and new gratefulness for the instruction just in these few verses that we've been in together. And uh, so we're going to have another week in Matthew 5, and then we've got our missions weekend, and then I'm excited because uh, Drew's going to be speaking uh, the last Sunday in October. And I just have to say, I'm so encouraged, having only been here for a couple months, seeing the number of leaders that are a part of this church family who are gifted teachers and expositors of God's Word. And that is not, I don't know if you realize how rare that is to have so many who can get up here and open God's word and accurately interpret what scripture is saying for you. And so one of the things I've told our leaders that I'm thankful for in that is it allows them to stand up here and you as a church body to see that it's not just one person who can stand up here and teach you. And that as we think about growing as a church and moving to where God wants us to be as a church, to have the chance for others to stand here affirmed by our leaders and say, these people can teach you. That's something we can be grateful for. So I'm excited about that. I'm thankful for that. And as we think about this today, we're going to be covering a subject that Jesus brings up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that is very present today as we're challenged with what it looks like to follow Jesus in the midst of culture. And if you think all the way back to when we first started this series, the question became, how do I expose those around me to the glory of the one who saved me? How do I do that? And we talked about how that happens when all of me glorifies him. That's been our mission. That's been our goal. And as we come to this section today, this one verse, I anticipate that we as a church family will be challenged as we think about what it looks like to glorify God as a peacemaker and the tension that exists within each of our lives when it comes to that. And so let's start, let's read together Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Follow along in your Bibles. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed 
are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Heavenly Father, as we open this together, as we look at this verse specifically talking about peacemakers, may you help us to define what you intended this to look like as followers of Jesus, as your church, that we would adequately understand and put into practice the task that is before us, making us more like Jesus, understanding your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing I want to challenge you with as we think about the term peacemaker. A peacemaker, this is different than what we might see in the rest of Scripture as someone who is known as a peaceable person. And we can look in other places and see that that's to be a model, a characteristic of those who follow Jesus. And yet, there's a difference in knowing what it means to be peaceable and what it looks like to be a peacemaker. And one of the biggest differences that you might be able to readily understand out of that is that to be a peacemaker is active, not passive. Now, for those of you who might go, well, what's the difference between those two? If something is passive, we're going to go back to English. English together, English class. If something is passive, it means that it is done to me. There's no active participation that I play into that. On the contrary, when something is active, it means I do my part. I have an active role that goes into this. It's something I do. It exudes what follows after. And that's important because the first thing we have to understand when this text says, blessed are the peacemakers, is understanding that we cannot, as followers of Jesus, sit back and expect this to just happen to us. Instead, it has to be a choice that we make to say, I am going to be this. In everything I say and do, I'm going to strive to be this. And when we think about that in a broad context, the reality of our answer should be, I'm going to actively pursue becoming like Jesus. That should be the broad statement. And yet it becomes narrower when we say, what does that look like? And thankfully, we have teachings from Jesus himself to help us get from where we are to where God wants us to be in this. But the question that arrives out of a text like Matthew 5, 9 is, what can I do to be, as Scripture says, a peacemaker? Turn to your neighbor and say, what can I do? And the second thing is, why should I care? Now turn to your neighbor and say, why should I care? Those are really the two questions when we come to this text of Scripture that we should be asking. If Jesus is saying, deeply joyful, blessed are the peacemakers, then I hope you are reading that and going, well, how do I be a peacemaker? What does that look like? And why should I care? 
So to start this morning and deepen our understanding of this, we're going to look at several different scripture passages to enlighten us in this. But we're going to start by answering the question, what threatens my ability to be a peacemaker? Because oftentimes what I find is when we come to something and we ask the question, what should this look like? It's really easy to narrow that down more if I first ask the question, what doesn't this look like? And it brings clarity to that. I tend to use, I, actually, <laughs> I tend to use the same philosophy when my wife and I are trying to figure out where we're going to eat. And you can either ask, where do you want to eat? Or you can ask, what don't you want to eat? And it narrows the scope a lot more. So we do that all the time. And that's basically, we're going to do the same thing this morning. And we're going to start and ask the question, what doesn't this look like? Based in scripture, what doesn't this look like? And the first thing, what threatens my ability to be a biblical peacemaker is pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness. Now, in Romans chapter 12, verse 14 and 18, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, the last portion of that, especially, is an emphatic challenge to us. How many times do we encounter someone... That we're at odds with. Or we get into a dispute or a disagreement and all of a sudden we're butting heads and we, we do everything we can to avoid that person. And I know many of you have experienced this. It's the type of, type of situation where you see where you're walking through the store in Walmart and you go to turn down an aisle and you see that person, you go, oh, no, I don't need that anymore. Okay? And yet, the active portion of this comes in when it says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, what gets in the way of that? My pride? My concern for self? Well, they need to come first. They need to seek to establish peace first. No, they don't. According to Scripture, that's your job. And you can't control what anyone else does, but you can definitely control what you do. Now that seems like a simple phrase because we actually teach that to our kids when they're toddlers. You can't control what Bobby does to you, but you can control what you do. And the longer I grow in Christ, the more I am convinced that many of us are just spiritual toddlers. God, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to walk right up to the line. I'm going to stand here, and I'm not going to do exactly what you told me to. I'm going to try and twist it a little bit. God uses our kids in that way to show us the reality of who we are. 
And why is that? It's because our kids are focused on themselves. Humility is something that's taught and it's modeled. And so if we're seeking to be someone who makes peace, a peacemaker, we have to be able to recognize our own selfishness, our own pride that so often gets in the way of that. Now to emphasize this a little more, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, if you've got one of the Bibles in your pew, it's page 1,773. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 16 of Galatians 5. Now, in this text, Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, and he's encouraging them in their walk, reminding them what they should focus on, reminding them not to pursue the things of the flesh, but to walk in step with the Spirit. And he comes to a head here in this passage, starting in verse 16 of Galatians 5. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Recognize that, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, here's the contrast to the works of the spirit. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... Thank goodness for that but in there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It is our own flesh that becomes enraged or embittered when our way isn't followed or met. When our way isn't met or followed. We fight for what we think is right often without stopping to consider what God has said to be true. If we are rooted in our own agenda, in our own truth, and our own path, we will surely fail to be makers of biblical peace. Let me say that again. If we are rooted in our own agenda, our own truth, and our own path, we will surely fail. To be makers of biblical peace. Pride and selfishness threaten and hinder my ability to be a biblical 
peacemaker. Secondly, what threatens my ability to be a biblical peacemaker? People-pleasing. When my tendency is towards pleasing people, it becomes a trap. It becomes consuming, not peaceful. To emphasize this a little more, Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man. Well, how does that communicate? Well, stop and think for a minute. If I'm doing everything I'm doing to please man, then who is the one that I'm most feared of every time I go to do anything? Man, if my eyes are fixed on Jesus and my desire is to do everything I do to please God, then who am I most to fear if I don't walk in step with what he's called? God. And in the midst of that, there's a tension that exists for each one of us because so often... Our mentality and how do I make peace with another person is to give in and do whatever they wanted me to do. It'll make them happy. Maybe it will for a time, but is that true biblical peace? Is that what this is supposed to look like? For me to just give in? Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, show of hands, how many of you want to serve Christ in everything you do? Okay, that's that's our desire here to glorify God as we worship, grow, serve and reach our, our desires to serve Christ in that way to become more like Jesus. And so if you're here for the first time and you're wondering, why do we get together? Why do we do this? That's why. We want to become more like Jesus. And it's kind of a messy process because we're not perfect. If we were, we wouldn't need Jesus. And yet, if I desire to be a servant of Christ, I can't strive to please man. I have to strive to honor God. One of the most culturally relevant terms that embodies this is the term tolerance. You do your thing, and I'll do mine. And as long as we're both okay with that, we're good. Our tendency to attempt and please all people does not bring about true peace. Rather, it breeds indifference. Think about that for a minute. Our tendency to attempt and please all people does not bring about true peace. Rather, it breeds indifference. And indifference to say, I don't really care what anyone else does. You do your thing, and I'll do mine. And in the midst of that, somehow we rectify in our minds that I now have peace. Well, no, you don't, because deep down, you're probably still thinking, man, I just... I'm not okay. I'm not okay with what this looks like.
we should not be striving for indifference in the church. We should be striving for unity in one spirit, one God, one Savior, the God of the Bible. That is the foundation upon which true peace is found. And we have to start there. These things hinder my ability to be a biblical peacemaker because they hinder my ability to stand before God and say, you are my focus. And if we believe that God is ultimately a God of peace, then our eyes first have to be fixed there before we can expect ourselves to be an active maker of biblical peace. True peacemakers already know where true peace comes from. True peacemakers already know where true peace comes from. So now that we've thought a little bit about what threatens my ability to be a biblical peacemaker, I want to shift gears to characteristics of a biblical peacemaker. What is characteristic? What is true? What is... Present about someone who's seeking to make peace, as the Bible says, blessed, deeply joyful are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The first thing on here, characteristic of peacemaking, is honesty. Honesty. And what do I mean by that? I mean that True peacemaking does not cry out that there is peace when there is not. True peacemakers do not cry, peace, peace, there's peace, when there is no peace. Now the prophets in the Old Testament were given words directly about this. In Ezekiel 13, 9 through 10 says, my hand will be against the prophets. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divination. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel. Or shall they enter the land of Israel? And you shall know that I am the Lord God, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace. In the same way, Jeremiah spoke. In Jeremiah six thirteen and through 14, he said, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, to put it in context... Both of these prophets are speaking out against false prophets, false teachers who are bringing these messages and God is ushering in judgment on them, speaking truth about the reality of the situation. And yet, there were people under the teachings of these individuals who heard that message. There's peace. There's peace. We don't need to worry about anything. It's all good. When it wasn't. Now, you might wonder, what does this have anything to do with us today? How do we apply that practically? And as I was thinking about this, now some of you know, we're in the process of home remodeling. 
So, many of my illustrations in the next coming weeks may be construction related, I don't know. But I couldn't help but thinking that oftentimes when you have an old structure, or really any structure, it could be new, and something shifts or something changes and what do you, you start to see some cracking. Okay? You start to see some cracking in the walls or on the ceiling or maybe in other areas. Maybe you've experienced a circumstance where there's been cracks in the foundation. I'm very sorry if you've experienced that. Okay? But the reality is, at least inside, we might grab some tools like this, some putty knives. We might get some mud or some patch. We go around the house and what do we do? We dip this out. Ah, you can't see it anymore. Or maybe it's uh, maybe I've got some some cracking outside or in my bathroom, so I grab my caulk gun and I go around and I just patch it. I oh, can't see it anymore. Now, how is this applicable to the same scenario? The reality is, uh, many times we see the issues, we see the problems. We know something's wrong, but rather than deal with the issue, we grab our putty knife and we just cover over it. Can't see it anymore. I show up to church. I've puttied my whole life. I'm good. I'm doing great. Even though inside I might be cracking and crumbling. Now I'm going to make this a little more personal for a minute. First off, for you guys. So all you guys need to look up here. Pay attention. If you guys go home and you know stuff's just not right, whether it be in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of your children, It is not your job to putty over those problems. To make them look like they don't exist. God has entrusted you as the leader of your home to model Jesus. If you have a wife, He has entrusted you to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. That means the same sacrifice Jesus made when he died for you, you're to make for your wife every single day. And so if stuff's going wrong and there's foundational issues, don't putty over it. Stop and assess the issue. Figure out what's really going on. And then fix the problem. Get on your knees. Go to truth. Seek God. Seek other men who can walk alongside of you. But don't putty over the issue and expect it to go away. Now, in the same way, ladies, you need to look up here too. I believe, and I can't embody this in the same way. And so, please don't take that I'm trying to do that. Because I know there are aspects that I just can't understand. And my wife could. But just in sitting and talking with my wife and other sisters in Christ, I truly believe 
that a struggle for many of you is to putty over the cracks in your own life. That somehow, someway, you feel this overburdened pressure to have to put on a face or be someone that you're not. And when things aren't going right at home, or you're just struggling as a parent, you putty over this stuff just to get by, because sometimes the pain is just too much to bear. To be honest is a struggle. And I want to encourage you to know that you have a Savior who died for you. Who said you don't have to putty over these things and be okay with putting on a face. You can be who you are because God already knows who you are. You don't have to try and hide the cracks and the indiscrepancies and all these things in your life and pretend like it's okay. And so for all of us in the midst of this, if we're striving to be biblical peacemakers as God has called us to, whether that be in our home, in our parenting, in our job, in the culture around us, or right here in this church family, we got to start by being honest. we got to stop yelling, peace, peace, I'm okay, everything's okay, when it's not. And then recognize that even if it's not all okay, we serve a God who's bigger than any issue we're facing right now. True peacemakers know where true peace comes from. It only comes from one place. Second thing, characteristic of peacemakers is just follows this, you could almost put these two together, it's rooted in what is true. In James chapter 3, James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says this. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness. Church, we might be tempted to think that in order to be a peacemaker, in order to biblically make peace, that there has to be an absence of conflict. That's just not the case. And in fact, if we look at Scripture and believe that full, complete, total peace is only going to take place fully in eternity, we're going to recognize that there's going to be tension, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be a need for biblical peacemakers every day of your life here on earth. And so don't take the approach to thinking that somehow me being passive is going to accomplish what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. But rather, peacemaking is waging war on false attempts to bring about temporary peace. It's actively fighting to pursue what it means to be a peacemaker as Jesus has called us to, not as the world defines it. 
So the second question in all of this, why should I care? And the second part of verse 9 for, of Matthew 5, for they shall be called sons of God. For they shall be called sons of God. Flip over with me one more time now to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 14. says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is an amazing promise. This is the pinnacle of the beatitude promise. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty who mourn their sin, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness from God, begin to show the same mercy that has been shown to them. Their heart is daily being purified as they strive to be more like Jesus. And they seek to actively make peace. Biblical peace. The encouraging thing is to be a son of God, it's characteristic of their heavenly Father. Romans sixteen twenty, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of your Lord Jesus Christ be with you. First Thessalonians five twenty three. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews thirteen twenty. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. These truths are embodied in the gospel, in the good news that we proclaim. To be called sons of God. To be striving to be more like Jesus and how we strive to make peace. And that's what we should stop and consider when we step to the communion table. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. Think about that for a minute. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And maybe some of you here today are feeling like, I, I need renewed. I need transformed by something that I can't do by myself. And there's good news because there's new life that's only found in Jesus. The same life that testifies to the only place where we can find true peace. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Church, the reason we remember this is because it's foundational, not just to new life. Not just to remind us that Jesus died, that we might have life. But then to remind us that God has modeled everything he's called us to in his son. Truly, the God of peace has embodied this very thing. To where true peace is only found in Him. Many of you could tell story upon story of that testimony in your own life. In circumstances that otherwise would have driven you mad. And there was just a peace. To stop and understand that true peacemakers already know where true peace comes from. Biblical peacemakers, they already know where true peace is found. And so I'm going to ask those serving communion to come forward. And we're going to pray this morning that we would understand the reality of where true peace is found. But that it wouldn't stop there. That it wouldn't stop with ourselves. But that then we would seek to actively be a biblical peacemaker as God has defined that to be. Heavenly Father, we come before you recognizing and knowing that this is really challenging to live out. God, I pray that you help us to stop puttying over the cracks and instead help us to be part of the process of making us more like Jesus and revealing who you are to the rest of this world. And as we gather around this table, Father, that we would be reminded of the motivation we should have to do these very things. We would be reminded of the sacrifice, reminded of the suffering, so that we could have life and the promise of eternity with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.